0: Hey Chasers, Aaron here. I wanted to talk about our sponsor, Wilderness Trail Distillery. If you want a great whiskey without the fake legends and made-up history, try some Wilderness Trail Fine Kentucky Bourbon. It's made by master distiller Shane Baker. And fermentation expert Pat Heist, who you've heard on the podcast, at their distillery in Danville, Kentucky. They make a uh, weeded bourbon, a high rye bourbon, and a Kentucky grown rye whiskey. Wilderness Trail is offered in bottled in bond or cask strength. It's non chill filtered, and the mash bill is on the side of every bottle, so you know what you're buying. This is real information. Not some magical recipe or who Shane's great great grandpa is. I'm telling you, keep an eye out for Wilderness Trail in your favorite store. If you happen to see a barrel pick or special release of Wilderness Trail on the shelf at your store, grab it. It's not going to last long. If you want more information, check them out online at Wilderness Trail Distillery.com.
1: This is Alan Katz, the co founder of New York Distilling Company in Brooklyn, New York. Pour a dram, settle in. This is the Cast Chasers Podcast.
2: Alright Cast Chasers. Uh, here we go. We're talking to, well, to me anyway, a local fella out of New York. A lot of good stuff happening in New York, which is uh, which is cool to see. You've uh, you've heard our friend, you know, Lisa Wicker from Widow Jane. We've talked to Black Button Distilling, um, and now we have uh, co-founder Alan Katz of New York Distilling Company. I'm super excited to get into this conversation because he is well in the industry, well known for his understanding complexionality and other words I can make up of Rye. Uh, So it's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. And I'm looking forward to it. Alan, welcome to the show, my friend. Great to be with you, Bobby. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, no. Thank you. Thank you. I know we were uh, (laughs) back and forth with your team, uh, trying to find the right time to set all this up. And uh, I've been looking forward to it for a while. And you know... Nothing beats talking whiskey in the heat we have right now because I've been very cocktail-esque lately because it's so hot. You want something with ice, you want something mixed, you want something, you know what I mean? And for me, rye is just an outstanding mixer for cocktails. It's my favorite whiskey to put into a cocktail, but, you know, on its own, it's also delicious. So tell us a little bit about New York Distilling, where it came from, how you got into this. I mean... When you were a little boy, did you just know I'm going to make whiskey?
1: I I, I, kn- I didn't know I wanted to make whiskey. I knew I wanted to make something. Probably by the time I was 14 or 15, I had that inclination, and I thought, "Wow, I, I didn't plan on that, or whether I'd you know build televisions or make cars or or do something." But I did like the idea of creating something. Uh, I certainly remember that, and it's interesting in the summer heat. You know, for us the the year really starts now we just completed uh the annual rye harvest and it's called winter rye because it gets planted around the time frame of the first winter pre-winter frost but now is the time of year where it's it's come up it's grown it's dried out a fair amount and it's ready to roll but uh, for us uh, we were always inclined about not just the topography but the agricultural qualities of several regions in New York state and for us specifically about growing rye. But for me, I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, and I can certainly remember by the time I was 17, not every week, but uh, hanging out with my grandmother and rye whiskey from a national or international standpoint was certainly not popular at the time, but I had the fortune that there was an historic brand that, uh, once upon a time was purchased by heaven hill and it's called pikesville rye and not yeah. the, the pikesville rye it's right. out on the market now which i adore it's yeah. an overproof uh, uh, uh pikesville rye that they've created a whiskey now for this brand mm. but at the time when i was growing up there was a white label pikesville rye and it was the brand by name by heritage is almost too fancy a word of the town where i grew up And it's this suburb of Baltimore city. And I was like, wow, you know, my, my hometown is on a bottle. I've got to try this. And at 17, my grandmother and I would go to downtown Baltimore and it was a great hotel, the Belvedere hotel. And I always, I appreciated at the time, looked older than I was. Now I'm not as enamored of the the state of being, but so be it. Uh, And we would have Pikesville, Rye, Manhattan's. And I just felt fun about it. Maybe I felt sophisticated or that I was doing something I wasn't supposed to at, at 17, but it was fun. It was fun to watch people at the bar. And that has stuck with me for oh my goodness, over 30 years is this idea of not just cultural heritage, but a near constancy of looking back and simultaneously looking forward. So understanding what happened in the past and why. Yeah. Where did some cultural moment or cultural product come from and why did it evolve and where could we take it in the future and that not in any written down fashion sort of the guiding posts that we started new york distilling company with and i knew in my mind part of it's just my personal upbringing and celebrating rye and at this point being old enough to have been around certainly in a new york sensibility but in other markets and countries as well when the current cocktail Renaissance, uh, came into play in the late nineties, early two thousands. I was really just in the right place at the right time. And there was no rye whiskey right in New York city. I mean, there was not, you could, there were maybe four brands that you could find on a few store shelves. And once the, the speakeasy craze started to come into play in the mid two thousands to late two thousands, I mean, we would run out of rye whiskey in New York city at least twice a year you couldn't find it and you know brands would sort of laugh or they'd say yeah we'll scramble and we'll pull some from this market and bring it to new york but the truth is they didn't really have any and they're all great whiskies and and I don't even mind you know mentioning them by name because they're part of my 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 life and my upbringing and I adore them and it's written house rye yeah. comes to mind first and wild turkey rye and Sazerac and Old Overholt. This is before Overholt had their bonded version as yeah. well. <clears throat> and you know they're all again, they're great whiskeys from the most profound, the most stalwart American whiskey distillers. And in the landscape that I was looking at, I said, "Well, I love bourbon too. I mean, I love bourbon. I love Scotch, Irish, Japanese whiskey, German whiskey. I'm I'm a fan of of whiskey and." taking grain and turning it into something else.
2: That's, that's, a, that's outstanding. I, I think one of the, my coolest take, my, my biggest takeaways from what you just said is kind of where you come from. Um, you know, I'm in Delaware. Um, we're right, you know, down the street from New York, right up the street from Baltimore. I spent a lot of time in Baltimore. We have friends. I at old line, American single malt. Yep. But arguably Maryland, Virginia, is historically rye territory. So it's interesting that you, being, you know, among other things, you know, co founder of this great distilling company, you know, a, a, a recognizable expert in rye to have come up from rye country. And what an interesting grain to be a part of. What an also hell of a grain to be a part of. It's a, uh, it, it quite literally is a, an aggressive. Excuse my French, asshole of a grain. I mean, it, it mucks your machines up. It's 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 hard to work with the flavor profile. You have to be sensitive with it, and at the same time, you have to be hard on it. It's very marine boot camp meet, you know, the priesthood. It's it's a little bit of both. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> well, I like the analogy. Yeah, yes. yeah. You know what I mean? So, uh, New York guy, I figured you appreciate some of that. Um, so, I want to I want to really zoom into you know you as the expert, Rye, But I have a I want to I want to kind of piggyback a little bit and and talk about something that's super interesting to me can we talk about the 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 coalition that you were a part of that developed the empire rye designation and i see rye designations or grain designations from all over but when somebody creates this kind of this kind of recipe i guess you can say it's very specific and it's very important to the hometown feel almost it's yours and if I made this in California, I'm still going to refer it to the Empire of Rye. You know what I mean? And I think that's important. I think that's fun. But can we talk a little bit about where that comes from and what it means? Yeah, of course. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, the, the aim is is very straightforward. We were trying to create a, a denomination. And one, you know, looking around the landscape, the, the another affinity for me about the history of, of rye whiskey in America is some of the places you mentioned, and I'd add Pennsylvania as well. You know, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh is from a whiskey standpoint. Rye has a great uh, uh, history and longevity coming out of cities: Baltimore, Maryland, Philadelphia, and Pittsburgh. Uh, other places, you know, in West Virginia and Virginia, but these were significant cities in the 18th, 19th century from an industry standpoint. And obviously, there were great levels of population there. But when you think of other types of whiskey, whether it's bourbon and its association with Kentucky, though obviously it can be made anywhere, Mm. but bourbon from lots of places in the United States or Japanese whiskeys and other places that I've been to, whether it's in Scotland or Ireland, et cetera, you think of a more pastoral setting. And so the link between cities and rye, to me, was also a real engaging point. And it led us and a collection of other distilleries in New York, as you said, to really think about how we could supercharge awareness of rye. It's a smaller category, obviously, than bourbon. It doesn't have any clear association with a specific geographic region of the United States yet. And it's on this really nice upswing of general interest, whether it's by cocktails, and we've been in this scenario now for 25 years Mm. practically, talking about cocktails and their origins, and we can have playful, even drunken arguments of Mm -hmm. what whiskey was used first in the Manhattan, and so these are great, fun conversations. All that matters to me is you like your drink. right? But in that context of saying, you know what? What if we captured this moment of all of these fun, young distilleries in New York State, and created, as I said, a denomination that could say, this is the essence of New York whiskey, or specifically New York rye whiskey. Doesn't prevent anyone else creating their own denomination, but we thought, this is great, and we had already gotten, um, as a group and individually, tremendous support from the state of New York, from the state legislature, a series of New York governors, who are all really inclined to create links between, in our case, distillers and farmers. Mm. And not all of the distilleries in New York State are obviously in in New York City or Brooklyn, specifically where we are. There are loads, even more numbers of distilleries, you know, probably uh, four-fifths or more are in, quote-unquote, upstate New York. Mm. But the idea of supporting New York state agriculture through these endeavors the state jumped on board as well and said, let us help you develop this and let us help you market it. And that's the key to the whole thing.
2: Sure, We
1: need means to tell our story. And there was a collection of us who got together. And the truth is, we're the only ones, I believe, that only make rye whiskey. Everyone else might be making bourbon or malt whiskey or some other style. But we've, from day one, said on the whiskey front, we're only going to make rye. So we're Again, very, very excited about the prospect of finding means to share this story. But we were sitting down and said, well, what would make this unique? How could we simultaneously look back in the sense of tradition about how whiskey once upon a time was made and their journals and their recipes and their more than inclinations to say, ah, they did this profile or this self imposed regulation, if you will, for specific reasons? Let's consider that, but leave enough leeway in that we can all make our own style with freedom of creativity, but in a construct that says, this is different. This is purposeful and unique. And we're not saying you have to like it, but giving a, an angle and a profile to a, a subset of American rye whiskey from New York is something that we knew would stand out because of the simple largesse of New York from an awareness standpoint. But then to say, hey, we're going to have a range of whiskeys
2: over time that people can really have a great experience trying. I absolutely love that. I really do. And I think, first off, making something and focusing on that one thing, being great at that one thing. And it's, it's okay to have a wide portfolio. But I, unfortunately, I do see some companies out there that are just putting their hands in too much. And I, I think. Sticking to what you know with, since with rye, um, is is brilliant. I also love the conversation of New York being agricultural. I know it's seventy percent, seventy five percent New York grain to be in the Empire Rye designation. Well, specifically
1: seventy five percent New York rye,
2: rye specifically not just yes.
1: grain, but it has to be seventy five percent New York
2: grown rye. Which, if to the layman that thinks about New York, a lot of our listeners, and luckily we're global. So a lot of people, especially outside of the U.S., when they think about New York, you don't think about agriculture. You don't think about farms. You think about a big city, that one island, and that's kind of it. But New York is plentiful with with farmers and, and open land and fresh water and things like that. So there is a, there's a lot of story there, I think, too, that kind of gets, you know, not talked about as much. But I think companies like yours... Um, really kind of shine a light on those folks, those folks that are growing and uh, partnering with you. And it, it, it's neat to think of New York as farmland and not just, you know, Manhattan.
1: Well, I'll take it one step further. And it really is a specific context around rye as a grain, as a crop. And that is, you know, traditionally, probably for nearly the last century as rye, not just as a whiskey, but as a grain waned in popularity It sort of sounds funny. Below the surface, Mm -hmm. rye contributes tremendously to a literal sense of sustainability. Its Mm. root structure helps preserve water, slow down soil erosion. And traditionally, farmers would plant crops of rye and not even harvest it. Yeah. They would grow it for the season and plow it under and get ready for the fall planting season. It adds nutrients to the grain. As I said, it has these wonderful attributes. And now companies like ours, but specifically for us, because we only make rye whiskey, will go to farmers and said, hey, don't plow it under. We'll give you money for that grain. Mm. And it sounds simple, but the reaction is is marvelous Uh, because there's such enthusiasm to create these collaborations. And I'm not a farmer. I don't have the scientific background to analyze traits of grain except by tasting a finished product. So to simultaneously be able to learn about the agronomy of growing crops and what happens if it is a drier season or if it rains leading up to harvest or what the sugar content is mm. before it gets mashed is really been a, a part of the uh, most pleasurable aspects of of learning as we go along. We were not experts at making whiskey when we started by any means. Right. Um, you know, my, my stock line was, you know, I know what I'm doing, but I've never done it before.
2: Yeah.
1: And and to be able to put ourselves in a position to, to learn about these different elements from the grain uh, all the way through the, the production process has really been a, a great, not just asset, but privilege, I'd say.
2: Well, I, you know, privilege-wise, I have had the privilege of interviewing hundreds of people and talking to thousands of people in the industry. And if you put me in front of a um, a, uh, a still, I would not know what to do. I, would, I don't even know if I would know where to start. So I, I, I would spend an hour looking for the switch that turns on the boiler. So bravo to you and people like you that are out there doing uh, cool stuff and making these whiskeys. Heights,
3: I want to throw a tongue twister at you. Okay. All right. Cask Chasers Podcast. Cask Chasers Podcast. Cask Chasers Podcast. Cask Chasers Podcast. That's kind of difficult to say. A little bit. You know it's not difficult to say? What's that? Black tot rum. Black tot rum. I did it. Yeah, black dot rum. Black dot rum. Black tot rum. I drink it straight because it's glorious as a sipper, especially from a whiskey drinker's standpoint. But what you don't know is two weeks ago when it was your birthday, Mm -hmm. I made a rum punch. With black tot rum. You did? Yes. Orange juice, pineapple juice, some grenadine, some lime juice, and a whole bunch of black tot rum. I remember the punch. And how delicious was it? Super delicioso. Boom. Impact's Beverages. Guess what we are? What? A proud sponsor of the Cast Chasers podcast. Cast Chasers podcast. Boom. <laughs>
2: Let's let's focus on rye real quick. Rye is, and in the past, some of our old listeners may have heard in my beginning of my journey, pseudo beginning of journey, rye wasn't my favorite, but I only had a handful of rye. I found it spicy, very licorice, and I was more of a scotch guy. I, I didn't mind a little peat and things like that, but I had friends, luckily, in my, in my life, pushers, you can call them, that just kept bringing me rye and... I really fell in love with certain profiles, and I, I like like you do with whiskey. I gained a uh, a love for the flavor. So now I, it's it's rare I find a rye I don't like. What makes rye so flavorful and unique? Because you know, wheat is a rounding element. It has its own sweet compounds. I, I like to say wheat has a creaminess going on. I don't know how much mental that is. Corn, of course, we know is very sugary, very sweet. That you know, very corn forward bourbon flavor is. Is uh it, you spot it from the gate? But rye, unlike any other grain, um, you know, even barley, rye, unlike any other grain, in my opinion, just has so much complexity, so much depth, and so much anger in its little shell. But where's that coming from? I mean, because when you look at, it, if you've ever held a you know rye plant, if you've ever held a, you know, a, 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 I don't know what you call it, a, a sprig of rye, maybe there's you say the stalk the is stalk, the full yeah, growth. Right.
1: And what we're actually harvesting is called the head.
2: Yeah, but it's not that crazy looking of a plant. You wouldn't think it would bring so much to the table just by looking at it.
1: Well, I can I can answer and discuss with you in a few variations. One, there are a multitude of varieties of rye. Uh, over the years, for example, we have distilled three or four different varieties for our own education. And you have to have a perverse sense of patience if you're going to make your own whiskey. Um, you know, when we first started, we wanted to taste barrels all the time. And our first year, you know, we might have filled 30 barrels. Mm. And our, you know, our objective uh, over time has been to fill a thousand. And we only use 53 gallon barrels. In other words, you know, in American whiskey lexicon, full size barrels. Uh, and now we really don't touch anything until they turn four years old. And so you, one, have the influence of time in a barrel. Two, as I said, is, is the actual grain variety. And the best image uh, I, can, I can conjure is measuring the grain on an old-school ruler. And you have some varieties that are shorter mm. and some that are medium. And some, particularly uh, uh, European varieties of rye, the most well-known is probably a variety called Brassetto, which is really a, a long head, and again, you're talking about the sense of farming and producing a product, and whether you're trying to create, you know, ethanol for corn from corn, or bread, or in our case, whiskey. From a larger scale operation, you typically would be looking for efficiency of scale. Oh my goodness, if there was anything more dastardly in the context of anything with craft in mind with a capital c of how much volume yes. can i get out of this product we're after flavor and it's not to say there isn't a time and place for efficiency but for the passion and pleasure on our shoulders we're looking for flavor we're looking for aroma we're looking for something that says this is unique maybe you haven't had a rye whiskey like this before and so in the you know the methodology of learning as we go we looked at these few varieties, and also worked with the ag school at Cornell University to help us identify some heirloom varieties of rye that hadn't been used in hundreds of years. In some cases, they all taste different. Yes. So some some do have that spice note, but at the end of the day, anything that you're going to distill, the starting point is sugars.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, what's the percentage of sugar? What types of sugar? And then you learn the attributes by the new make, you know, the fresh off the still Mm -hmm. juice and then over time. And again, we've grown in size enough. We're not huge, but we have several thousand barrels underfoot aging at this point. So as I said, we're not really looking at hard details until three and a half, four years old. And really from a blending standpoint, we'll look at things up to seven years old. Our oldest barrels will turn 10 years old this fall. So we're still learning. I mean, that's yeah. the fun of it. It's, oh, where did that note come from? Yeah. Where was it stored in a warehouse? What have the seasons been? What has the temperature and humidity been? But in the most plain speak, rye is less sugar than we're accustomed to, whether it's by barley, wheat, or corn, oh, specifically yeah. corn, and, and our you know current wonderful attributes of bourbon. And I reference it because the second part of all this is psychological it's marketing yes. and what kind of stories we're telling everyone about the range of distilled spirits as a whole. Yeah. But we like where the first time perhaps in your experience as well, or the first several times you try rye whiskey, it does have a spice note. I would describe it further as it has a spice note compared to bourbon. Yes. But to me, not all ryes are spicy. Our ryes, for example, tend to have a nose that really belies sort of this ebb and flow of undulating spice that's yet to come. But on the nose, it's like a thousand flower, a mille fiore honey. And a little bit of, I mean, you want to get geeky, I think our, our rye tends to have a nose of ripe peach skin, not the flesh, but the skin where there's more ascorbic acid. And that just serves to put you at ease so that when you get a little bit of spice, that it's not so harsh, or really harsh in any way, but you know, to me, the other factors in probably both of our upbringing and our experience drinking whiskey—at least for me—when I started, most of the American whiskeys that you had available were at a hundred. Where at? Excuse me, at eighty proof. Mm-hmm. You know, Rittenhouse was at hundred proof. Overholt was at eighty proof. Sazerac was at ninety proof. But if you looked across the range of bourbons. They were almost all at 80 proof. And now it's not only trendy, it's the popular theme to have, quote unquote, overproof whiskey. Why? Well, they might be a little spicier because there's a little bit more of a kick of alcohol, but there's a load more flavor. And from a marketing standpoint and a usage standpoint, all of us as distillers have come to realize that we're in a modern time. It's taken us at least fifty years, I would say. But we're in a modern time where flavor leads the way, yes. a little bit more so even than efficiency of scale.
2: I, I, the complexity um, of what whiskey. I mean, literally, the reason I have a we have a podcast is because the psychology, because the you know you taste what you've eaten that day or what you know or to quote Peggy you No know, Stevens, what's in your pantry, you know. There's so much more to every time I think, okay, if I think I have it, or how many more episodes could we possibly do about one subject, then we start getting down the road with people like you where, you know, we don't really talk in whiskey about which grain, which rye. So we know rye, we know corn, we know barley, we know wheat, uh, we know rice, if you want to go down that road. But sure. but then you start talking about but then you start talking about okay rye and then you really get into it okay what what a variation of rye um, and you really don't see that in the whiskey you do in the in the wine world you know we know somewhat which grape may have been used based on the name but rarely do you see it in the whiskey world I think one of the examples that few I can give is balconis blue corn. Um, But then I'm sure there's 15 variations of blue corn. Um, So it's interesting to me that not only is it one rye, which rye, and where was it made, and how much, and what proof, and where was the barrel. And so it's lazy, and it was lazy of me, full confession, to say, I don't like rye. That is a very lazy It just is because what does that even mean? You know what I mean. Well, which rye do you not like, and whose rye, do you, and what time, and what season, what year? So I think it's really. Neat. Well, I
1: think of it as the way I talk to my kids. Yeah. Someone might not might, might might not like rye, yet. Yes. Yeah. You know, we're at a point where if you're a whiskey drinker, whatever that may be, uh, I think there's there's a rye whiskey and the element of rye whiskey more broadly that someone can have a great affinity for mm. it's just part of expanding experience and creating access points, you know, and I think it's across the board. It's not just in rye where there's, this in, there's an innate interest in points of origin and the specific grains. It's just that in a fun way, this moment of craft distilling and, and specifically craft distilling whiskey has helped create that entry point. And, and for us, we're, we're getting ready next year, certainly by next spring, to launch an heirloom variety of rye that we've been working on for a dozen years.
2: Super exciting. And
1: it's it's never tasted uh, better, but it's also never touched any lips of living human beings.
3: That's And incredible.
1: that's a real exciting point to say, hey, here's another access point, another point of discovery. But from a heritage standpoint, it's looking back to something that others had the opportunity to use, but without the benefit of modern access, modern techniques, equipment, etc. So I can't say it's the exact same thing, but it is a, a hearty exploration and point of rediscovery. And I think that's what people are excited about because the other part of the psychology, whether it's rye or something else, from my standpoint is people are looking for things that are quote unquote different. Hey, I've seen everybody drink that. What else can I try? And that's a, that's a hallmark of you know, a little bit of a lack of brand loyalty. And I don't mean to say I only drink one thing and put it away until months later, you might have one whiskey and you drink it every week. But the likelihood is these days that that type of drinker probably has that drink once or a few times a week, but also has other things to drink very regularly where I know growing up, my father had the same drink every day of the week. For years, and that that type of consumption or habitual consumption really doesn't exist today.
2: No, and I, there, there. I mean, there's balance, of course. Um, I people's homes I go into, um, they know I'm there. Um, I look at their whiskeys on their shelf, and they have you know a collection. I always go to bars and, and whatnot, and I like a collection, and I think that's healthy. I think trying and. I, I have too many bottles. I mean, it's based on what I do, but um, the, and what's sent to me and what I buy for myself. It's it's, I'm probably not the example you want to. You could have certain agencies called on you if you're a normal person without a podcast and you have the amount of whiskey we have. But it's 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 for research, um, research only. But I think I think what I love about the whiskey community, and you kind of hit on this earlier, is although there is com competition because it's sales it's business there's not a sense of aggression in the uh, aggression in the competition world it's a very friendly competition i think and i think a lot of respect and what people don't know is a lot of barrels change hands and a lot of conversations change hands but at the end of the day i think what that makes is it's not about you know don't buy new york distilling because you're a fan of such and such Do buy New York distilling because their rye is unique to them, and it's going to have its own story and its own, you know. It's it's like why would you read a book by one author? You know what I mean? And that's it. You get you got a reader reads, uh, you know, and a drinker I think should drink an experience. And um, I want to I want to just for the listeners out there, um, they're a great distillery, huge story. Um, smart people behind the helm. Um, I've talked to, I've chit-chatted with, um, obviously with Alan, but some other members of your team and everyone is in the, and I mean this in the most respectful way, a nerd. And I love that. Um, you guys do (laughs) care and you take this unique, you, you meet a lot of people in this industry that are one or the other. They're either, it's all heart and passion or it's all science and they're boring you have a balance, man. And I love that about you. You have this, I, I can tell this heart, this passion, the story, the history, the enriching, you know, you want to, you want to keep, you want to trailblaze, but at the same time you you want to remember your roots. But while you're doing it, I think you probably see things in a matrix format, you know, with the all numbers and zeros. I think your brain is always ticking. And I, I think from that kind of person, and you know, if I've If I'm slathering it on too thick, you can let me know. I think from taking it, I enjoy it. From a type of person like you, Alan, I think we can we can expect amazing things consistently. Um, then that's what passion brings you. But uh no, I'm I'm I I I could not wait for this conversation. Um we we we're already, you know, thirty minutes in, um and we'll be wrapping up because, you know, our listeners are short, you know, attention spans, so they only like little increments. (laughs) But I can we, I mean, is there a way to tour if, if somebody wants to come visit? I mean, how? what's the, what's the there facility? Is, there's,
1: there's two exciting things. You know, we're in Williamsburg and Brooklyn. Mm. So one, you can go online on our website, which is nydistilling.com, and register for a tour. And it comes with a full complement of tasting of our whiskeys, of course, but also our gins that we make. Uh, we have a full cocktail bar attached to the distillery called The Shanty. And so it's a great place to just enjoy cocktails of any type, but with really skilled and marvelous bartenders who are ingrained in what we're making, as I like to say, on the other side of the glass, Mm. uh, in the distillery. Um, And so those are available on a regular basis, typically on Wednesdays and on the weekends. Um, But the other exciting news is that we are preparing to move to a new location Mm. in Bushwick in Brooklyn, which is just 15 minutes from where we are now, but a larger space for production for a, a, a broader consumer experience uh, on occasion. Uh, we do some fun one-off events uh, and I keep an eye out on our website and a related site for a New York rye week, which is going to be October 16th through 23rd. And we're going to have some really great events where you can actually come in and blend your own whiskey with me there it is. and we'll pull great barrel samples, samples that we've used for actual blends that we keep bottles of, And say, great, we're going to create the same type of construct that we use on a weekly basis. And our barrels for flagship ragtime rye, we might use 13 to 15 barrels. And typically for a blend your own session, we'll use seven or eight barrels. So not that different. But you'll notice the really unique intricacies and nuances that change barrel to barrel to barrel. Some that were created in the same time frame. Some that are years apart. And say, hmm. Am I going to make a whiskey for a cocktail focus, a whiskey for a sipping focus, and then
2: rely on your senses to make your own whiskey that you do get to walk out the door with? That's absolutely brilliant. I will be taking part of that. So if you guys, you listeners um, are local or can get a plane ticket or aren't local and uh, just want a trip to New York. You'll probably see me there. Obviously, you'll get to meet Alan, uh, and it sounds like you'll get to blend your own, which is an experience that I highly recommend. I've, I've had the opportunity to do it; it's a lot of fun, and like having your kids make their own food, it just tastes better when you've made it. You know what I mean? If you want your kids to eat something, have them make it, and they'll eat it. You know that old? It's whiskey's the same way. When you make it, it becomes the best, um, and you and and that's that. So. Alan, thank you, my friend, so much um, for, for coming on to Cast Chasers and having this conversation. I This won't be our last, hopefully. Um, we would love to have you on again. Um, there's just too much to talk about and too much to get into. And we don't pre-try enough, I don't think. But hey, this has been this has been great. Too short, but great. I appreciate you.
1: Cheers, sir. Thank, thank you, you, Alan.
2: Thank you, my friend. Have Have a good one. Enjoy the rest of your day. Stay out of the heat. I will see you in a couple of months, it sounds like. So that's awesome. We'll catch up.